0: Hello and welcome to this episode of the Psychology of Music podcast, hosted by the York Music Psychology Group. My name is Mimi O'Neill and I'm thrilled to welcome you, or to welcome you back. The goal is to share our work with each other in the field and also make these exciting topics more accessible to non-specialist audiences. So whether you're a researcher, a student, a musician, a music lover, or just curious about the way that we interact with music, you're in the right place. This week, we have a special series of shorter episodes showcasing five PhD research projects in the field of music psychology. The aim of any PhD is to contribute original knowledge to the field in which we work. Those that embark on that journey explore their chosen subject for a minimum of three years, often eating, sleeping, living and breathing the subject. In many cases, what we will be discussing this week will be a work in progress, and we're really lucky to have these first glimpses of the future of music psychology. My guest today is Caroline Owen. She is currently a PhD student in the York Music Psychology Group, the University of York. Previously, Carol studied on the joint course at the University of Manchester and the RNCM and subsequently in Paris, winning awards for clarinet playing and composition. Her career has involved teaching clarinet, saxophone, flute, recorder and piano, conducting, examining and leadership roles, freelance performing work as a clarinetist and as a member of the Chamber House WINS. Inspired and intrigued by the emotional effects of music, both those experienced personally and those discussed with playing colleagues, pupils and listeners, she returned to study in 2019. She completed her MA in Music Psychology at the University of York in 2020 and began her PhD studies in 2021, researching the development of children's subjective responses to music with specific focus on its underlying harmony, supervised by Hal Kregerman and Andrea Schiavio. Welcome, Caro, and thank you for coming on the Psychology of Music podcast. I'd like to start by asking if you can give me an overview of your PhD project. How far through are you? What have you done so far? And what is coming up next? Okay, so yes, I'm doing my PhD part time
1: over six years. And I'm now in my third year, and I'm just about to embark on my second study. Um, And this is a longitudinal study of children's subjective experiences with music. Um, And that will continue over the next three or four years. And I'm going to be looking at how children describe their music evoked feelings and the language that they use and also the nature of those subjective experiences. And to what extent these two things evolve as they get older, they become more emotionally articulate and as they become more musically enculturated, Um, and an additional aspect is that I'm interested in the extent to which musical harmonies influence the nature of affective response children experience so for instance are there commonalities in their descriptions of the particular qualia or flavour of feeling if that's a thing a flavour of feeling um, that they experience in music which can be related to its underlying harmony for instance uh, there's a lot of literature about people interpret major and minor tonality in Western music as feeling happy or sad or consonants or dissonance being more or less pleasant. Um, But very often when I ask my pupils about how major or minor pieces feel to them, it's not as clear cut as that. There there is a lot more nuance in in how they describe feelings than simply happy or sad. Um, And harmony, of course, is not just about major or minor mode. It's not just about Western tonality. Um, But it's about how sounds are combined and what fascinates me is is how as a species we've learned to exploit these sound combinations um, and especially those that that move us in a certain way to create music that, that moves us even more, if you like. So music plays on our natural predilections for certain sounds and certain combinations of sounds and combines those in order to enhance our affective or emotional experience. Um, And so I'm interested to know at what age children actually begin to distinguish different qualities of music-induced feeling um, and how far some of that um, quality of feeling is attributable to to what goes on harmonically, Um, you know, regardless of the other equally important, equally moving aspects of music um, and also across different musical styles, so not just Western music, for instance. Um, And so in preparation for the longitudinal study, my first project has been to devise a means to record children's subjective experiences. And uh, although there's quite a lot of literature about feelings that children recognise as being expressed by music, there has been relatively little empirical research so far into their felt responses or how they describe their music evoked feelings. Um, And there isn't yet any sort of standardised way to record these. So we've begun to develop an age-adapted psychometric instrument, um, a a means for them to record their verbal descriptions um, of how they feel, which is partly based on pre-validated scales used with adult participants in research about um, music emotion, but also using children's own words. So I'm hoping that that can then be used in my PhD research, but also um, hopefully validated for future music and research with children.
0: Yeah, that's, that's great. That's a lot to achieve um, in a PhD project. Mm. Um, and there are some really interesting challenges with doing research with this particular demographic. You obviously, you've got a lot of experience of working with this age range, but has there been anything that has surprised you so far? Excellent question. Uh, well, I would say
1: perhaps not surprised me, But certainly one thing that's delighted me throughout is the detail in their responses um, and the extent to which they've engaged with the questions that I've asked them. So I've had some fascinating informal conversations over the years with pupils of all ages, even even five-year-olds, you know, about how different music makes them feel. Um, But the responses that I got during the first study really confirmed that this is an interesting topic, not just from a research point of view, but also from the point of view of the children who took part in the study, um, which is, you know, that's, that's great, it makes it interesting for them. Um, apart from one very young participant who just really wasn't interested and said that they didn't enjoy listening to music at all. Um, and apart from, from that little participant, um, all the others were very, very willing to chat. Some gave some really thoughtful and insightful descriptions um, and I think fundamentally, people enjoy talking about their feelings, don't they? So giving them a platform to do that is quite likely to result in in some juicy data.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Just um, just clarify for us, what is the age range that you're particularly interested in?
1: Yeah, so it's primary school age. It's um, from five to 11 years. Um, and the reason for choosing that age group is is simply that, you know, any younger, and it's going to be difficult for them probably to express their feelings in words, um, but also, I, I, because I work in primary schools, um, I have sort of easy access to, to, uh, to schools and contacts and, and I can invite, invite participants to come along. So practically, it worked very well as well.
0: And so you talked a little bit earlier about um, sort of validating this, this way of capturing children's emotional responses to music. What are the sort of the methods or approaches that you're using to investigate this topic?
1: Okay so in terms of methodology um, all of the studies are in the form of listening experiments. Um, The first study I did was conducted in person at school so I interviewed each child separately and they all followed the same procedure Um, and that was really so that I could ensure that they all understood what it was I was asking them to do um, but also that practically speaking I could gain some direct understanding myself about what worked and what might not work and um, in order to to inform the the subsequent studies so during the interview I played each child some musical extracts and asked them to describe in their own words how the music made them feel and I also asked them to choose from a list of emotion words that I'd adapted from pre-validated scales um, those which they thought best described how the music felt to them um, but as well as that, to check that they understood the words and could use those you know, to talk about feelings, um, I also played them some very short stories, which were designed one to evoke each emotion on the list of words. Um, and I asked them which of the words best described how the character in each story was feeling. Um, and what I found was that they were able to use those words in relation to both the stories and the music. Um, but because I'd also asked them to use their own words to describe musical feelings, that came up with some interesting information as well. Some of a couple of the words they we had the word tense on the list. They they tended to translate that into scared. So it tells tells you a little bit about what words might be more appropriate for them. Um, but they also came up with four extra words that. That weren't on the original list, which um, we're going to incorporate into the next part of the study, and that was uh, excited and heroic and triumphant and brave. There we go. So that came up a lot. Um, so and that, so that was the first study, and then for the next round, so I need to retest these words to to get you know to get more information about how easy the the they are to use, how many of them to use, and so on. Um, And I need to reach out to a a wider demographic. I need a a bigger sample of participants for that, um, because the the first study was only done with a very small number of children. And so in order to do that, the next two studies are going to be run online um, as questionnaires. And so that means that children can do those either at home or at school. Um, older children will probably be able to, to manage them without any assistance but I'll advise parents to supervise younger children um, and at the moment I'm in the process of designing these so there's a, a game element to them um, and that involves aliens in a race to collect data from earth about music um, so the idea is that in order to run the study longitudinally I need to persuade the children to come back again and again and do it several times so they do need to enjoy doing it Um, and then in terms of analysing um, the results this is a mixed methods design so it involves some qualitative analysis of the participants free responses looking at which words come up the most often um, for instance but also quantitative analysis comparing their ratings of the extent to which different feelings are evoked for them by the musical stimuli so sort of um, Analyzing how how useful those words are, I suppose, and how how different their responses are um, based on the the music that they're that they're listening
0: to. The game idea is really fun, and <laughs> I, mean, I kind of want to take part, but I don't think I'm in your your population of interest. And um, looking ahead, what what is your hope for the outcomes of this PhD? Who do you hope is going to benefit from these findings?
1: Yeah, so because this is largely an exploratory study, one thing is that. You don't always know at the outset what benefits there might be, Um, however at the very least I do hope it will be an interesting contribution to to knowledge. Um, That said, it has really surprised me that there is not very much yet documented about children's felt responses to music, um, particularly from a developmental point of view, so um, that's already hopefully some new knowledge. Um, but that it also might, have, uh, might be interesting in terms of looking at the evolution of musicality. So that's to say the human capacity to make and appreciate music. And you know, this looks at how and why music developed and how far back in human history or even prehistory. We can trace that. Um, and this is, has become a, a you know, burgeoning research topic for a while now, which, which I find really, really interesting. Um, And it's just possible that learning more about how very young listeners experience music subjectively may be an important step towards understanding how and why music has such ubiquitous appeal and carries meaning for many people.
0: So as well as chatting to me for the podcast, you're going to be giving a five-minute flash talk in the Music Cognition Masters Speaker Series on Friday. Can you give us a brief overview of what we can expect from your presentation?
1: Yes. so I will be talking more specifically about each of my three PhD studies, how they connect to each other and to my research questions and putting my research in some sort of context with a little bit of background and also the sorts
0: of things that I'm hoping to find out. That sounds great. We'll uh, tune in on Friday to, to find out a bit more. Now, as part of this speaker series, we are also inviting presenters to issue a call to action or just a prompt for further thought and discussion. So if this is a topic that is of interest and you'd like to be part of that conversation, then make sure you join us for Caro's presentation.
2: The International Conference of Students of Systematic Musicology is an annual student-run event designed to allow advanced students in the fields of systematic musicology and music science to meet and discuss their research. This year the SISMUS Conference will be held in Sheffield from the 18th to the 20th of October SISMUS is dedicated to including a broad range of topics, including music perception, cognition and psychology, music therapy, education and sociology, music modelling and information retrieval, acoustics, theory and analysis, and culture, semiotics and philosophy. Keynote speakers include internationally renowned researchers working in the field of systematic musicology and music science. This year, the keynote speakers are Professor Lauren Trainer from McMaster University's Department of Psychology, Neuroscience and Behaviour, Dr Maiko Kawabata from the Royal College of Music and Open University, and Dr Julian Cespedes Guevara of Assisi University's Department of Psychological Studies. There will also be a range of panel discussions and workshops, paper and poster presentations, and opportunities for networking. Sysmus 23 is a hybrid event. Visit sites.google.com slash sheffield.ac.uk Sysmus 23 for more information. We look forward to seeing you there.
0: Doing a PhD is an enormous privilege, but also a fairly mysterious process. What have been your highlights and challenges? Has there been anything that surprised you about yourself or about the process of doing a PhD at this point?
1: Yeah, so surprised surprised interesting yeah I think I think writing Um, so I never thought of myself as a writer Um, at school I used to take ages to string out an essay I used to start writing at the last minute um, and I didn't ever feel very focused about it whereas now I think it's just being interested in the topic isn't it and and having a bit of life experience makes that easier but I can sit down in the morning and start writing and the next time I look up six hours have passed and I haven't even got up let alone you know made a coffee (laughs) Um, which may or may not be a good thing but but it's it's utterly absorbing um and I I think that's everything that I hoped it would be um challenges I think the main challenge at the moment is a structural one which is that because I'm studying part-time and working I have a chunk of time for studying at one end of the week and then a very compressed teaching timetable at the other end. So typically, just as I'm really getting my teeth into uh, my teeth into some aspects of my PhD, I then have to leave that hanging for a few days. Um, And during that time, I'll be need to be fully focused on teaching and working. And so it's a very abrupt kind of change of focus. Um, And that can be a bit frustrating. But you know, of course, I'm very fortunate to be able to do both, so I can't can't really complain about that. Um, and highlights, I think, I think everything so far is a highlight. Really, it sounds cheesy, but you know, just being able to do this is is a joy. It's something that I've wanted to do always. At some point, um, my undergrad was fairly intense, as it was pretty much two degrees simultaneously, and so once I'd finished those. Although I was pretty sure I wanted to come back and study at some point, I knew that at that point I needed to go and have some life experience and start earning. Um, so, yeah, it's a joy, at least up until this point. It is. If you ask me that again when I'm writing up, I may have a different answer, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's fine. And and I suppose it's not not every day will be the same experience and, and that's OK. Yeah. Um, so, so based on that, I suppose, what advice would you give to someone who is thinking of doing either a, a master's or, or a PhD in music psychology in the future?
1: Yeah, oh, I would say absolutely, unequivocally do it. You know, personally, it's one of the most exciting things I've been lucky enough to be able to do. Um, and it's very different from what I've spent most of my career doing. Um, and on the one hand, it feels quite self-indulgent to be able to immerse myself in a topic that's fascinated me throughout my life um, but on the other hand the skills you learn you know the people that you meet the, the new ways you learn to look at things all of these have, have also made me a better teacher they may maybe better at my main job if you like I'm sure um, and I have a few colleagues who um, are considering taking on further study or who have also gone on to further study um, not necessarily in music psychology, but other research areas. And, you know, so it's a similar thing to them, which is that if, if you're keen to do it and you have the time and the means, go for it. You know, life goes by pretty quickly. It's worth grabbing these opportunities when they come up. I think in terms of music psychology specifically, all musicians are engaged in the psychology of music in what they do, you know, whether or not they're aware of it, whether it's performing or teaching or practising All of these um, require us to to plan, to make certain decisions, for example, about how our music or how our engagement with it impacts our audience or our pupils or our own performing, our own musicianship. Um, So learning more about how that actually works is is relevant for anyone involved in music.
0: Yeah, that's such good advice. Um, So thank you for that. My final question is... Is there an article or similar that you have read recently that you would recommend to others?
1: Yeah. So recently I found a lot of Gary Tomlinson's work on the evolution of musicality really interesting um, and relevant to to what I'm looking at. Um, One article that leapt out for me recently was a paper by Nicholas Bannon, Robin Dunbar and Joshua Bamford about the role of octave equivalence in the evolution of of music and musicality. Um, And they highlight how if we want to understand why we respond to music in the way we do, we need to consider why we produce it in the way that we do and how all of that came about. Um, And it talks about how the way that male and female voice ranges developed roughly an octave apart uh, may have left, led to octave, octave equivalence in music when they sang together um, and therefore ultimately to our appreciation of and exploitation of harmonic sounds such a, that are created when, when humans sing together. Um, so that, that, that was great. So that's Bannon, Dunbar and Bamford 2022, the evolution of gender dimorphism in the human voice, the role of octave equivalence.
0: What a great recommendation. Thank you. And and Caro, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your project with me. We're very much looking forward to hearing a little bit more about it on Friday. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. You can watch Caro's Music Cognition Matters Flash Talk online at one o'clock this Friday, the 26th of May. The link is in the show notes and can also be found at mus-cog-matters.glitch.me. Thanks for listening and I hope to welcome you back for our next episode tomorrow in which we will be exploring the role of the cultural self in effective experiences with music with JT Tang.